Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. We're talking Javante Williams, Mac Jones, and Odell Beckham Jr. on Rotoviz Radio. What's up, Rotoviz? Welcome to Rotoviz Radio. This is the Rotoviz Fantasy Football Show. I am Curtis Patrick, joined by Dave Cabin. We are two of the owners here at Rotoviz, and we are ready to slice and dice some numbers from our great Rotoviz tools to break down a couple of really interesting situations. So, Dave, we're going to talk about a couple rookies. Um, and then, you know, just one of those, uh, you know, riddles wrapped in an enigma, um, toward the end of the episode. So, uh, pretty excited about tonight's content. Yeah, me too. Um, I always love looking through these advanced stats and we're going to switch over, uh, to talking about a rookie quarterback that might not be as exciting for fantasy purposes as some, but, uh, as some, but nonetheless makes, uh, a very interesting, player to dive into as it relates to his offense. So what do you think? Should I hit that generic quick drop? Oh, obviously. All right. So I started off getting ready for this episode by looking at some advanced running back stats, but I instead went in direction where we are going to be looking entirely here, Curtis at Javante Williams, unless you see anything else pop off that you find super interesting when you look at some of the some of the tables that I dropped into the file we're looking at. But the reason I wanted to focus on Javante Williams so heavily is at this point in the year, he is still holding on to his spot as being extremely competitive with an evasion percentage of 23%. The only player higher, Kareem Hunt, at 26% behind him, you have Nick Chubb, Austin Eckler, Khalil Herbert actually does get into the mix. Joe Mixon, Zach Moss, Aaron Jones, Dalvin Cook. But supremely impressive to see Williams this high up with a broken tackle percentage of 15.8, which is really high. Missed tackle percentage of 7%, which is really high. On top of that, Curtis, one of the highest just regular old yards per attempt averages in the league at 4.9. but. 70% of his yards have come after contact. And on top of that, he ranks number one in yards after contact per carry. 
So this guy is breaking tackles. He's being elusive. He's evading tackles. Even after taking contact, he's staying up, keeping things moving. And from a um, a percentage of yards after contact perspective, you see him in a list with guys like A.J. Dillon, Derrick Henry, um, David Montgomery up towards the top of the list there. So impressive in that regard. And then, um, as I mentioned, the yards after contact are really high, and that puts him there with guys like A.J. Dillon, Kareem Hunt, Nick Chubb, David Montgomery, Derrick Henry. So he is popping in a lot of these lists very high up, and it's it's also really impressive to see him doing what he's doing because he's getting hit at the line at a very high rate. Um, Not the highest in the league, but pretty significant at uh, 45%, only a handful of players on top of him. Uh, Interestingly, you do see Derrick Henry in that list as well. Now, one could argue that if you're getting hit the line, that gives you more of an opportunity to accrue yardage afterwards. And, you know, there's a lot of different ways that you could look into these metrics. But as we preach time and again, it's when you see the same players performing well in all of these metrics or or more or less across the board that you have to start to take notice. And, And the other thing I'll say on this, too, is that Denver is the 12th highest offensive line in blown block percentage on running plays. So I think that you can make an argument about how good Denver's offensive line is. We see Melvin Gordon, you know, doing pretty well this year as well. Uh, But it's not like Williams is playing behind the best offensive line that we've ever seen. And some of these stats that he's putting up are things that he clearly would be responsible for. So I bring this up and focus solely on Williams here because I think that people are probably interested at this point as to what he is heading into next season. You know, a lot of people were hoping that by now we would have seen him overtake Melvin Gordon, really carve out the majority of that work there. Doesn't look like that will happen. But when I see the numbers like this, I think about the fact that he's the younger player on a team with some of, uh, you know, all of its receiving parts, not quite back yet till we get Fant out there. We talked about Jerry Judy um, on the episode yesterday. This is an offense that could be trending in the right direction. Williams looking impressive. How do we frame this in our minds? I mean, one would have to think that in comparison to where he was coming out of the draft, um, you know, in springtime last year, even heading to the season, that he he should be at the very least holding steady there, if not, you know, taking a substantial step forward. Yeah, there's going to be so much going on um, this offseason that is really going to cause Javante Williams to skyrocket up um, the dynasty ADP boards and early dynasty drafts uh, in particular. Um, some of the, you know, some of the perennial studs are, are continuing to battle injury um, and are on the wrong side of the age curve. So, you know, Christian McCaffrey missing a lot of time again this year, Dalvin cook missing some time, Derek Henry, um, the invincible one actually missing some time. Um, Nick Chubb, Ezekiel Elliott, all of these guys are going to be, you know, age 26 or older, you know, entering next season. Um, and even some of the big scoring receiving heavy backs like Austin Eckler um, and Aaron Jones um, getting up there a little bit longer in the tooth too. And so you're going to have a situation where um, the, the younger players are just going to vault pretty much all of these 
aging studs because you're basically renting a year at a time on most of those players uh, at that point in their career. Whereas Williams coming in pretty young and having all of these great advanced metrics, you're basically just waiting. Like when will he get the bell cow role in, in Denver? Um, you know, he doesn't actually have to have like a Najee Harris level role, you know, with 98% of, uh, the high value touches, like we talked about last week, um, for him to really explode. I mean, Melvin Gordon and, and uh, Javante Williams are basically in a 50, 50 timeshare here. Um, you know, they're, they're both getting about three targets a game. They're both catching about two balls a game. Um, you know, they're, they're both basically, uh, you know, high end wide or high end running back threes from an opportunity standpoint um, and just consolidating that usage into to one back um, would really yield probably a low end RB one at worst. Um, Melvin Gordon is in his contract year. He's going to be 29 after the season. I, you know, if, if the team direction is still to kind of compete and you know, I, I mean, I, they're not really out of it yet, I guess in the AFC West um, with how some of the teams have struggled of late, um, but so it's, it's possible he would stay in Denver on a team friendly deal um, and, and maybe be pesky um, and and because of the familiarity um, have a larger role than maybe a different veteran that would be brought in. If Melvin Gordon's gone, it's definitely going to just be, um, you know, rocket ship Javante Williams um, type stuff. If if Melvin Gordon stays, you know, we could get this, you know, just really annoying effect where, you know, maybe only 10% more of the touches or opportunities go to Williams in year two. Um, so we'll just have to kind of wait and see. Obviously, the way you want to play that is to bet on the younger player, you know, getting the work. I think after the season, you know, to age 29, Melvin Gordon, probably only getting like a vet minimum, minimum type offer, um, for, you know, or vet, maybe not vet minimum, but, um, you know, a, a very low dollar offer from a team for, you know, perennial pro bowl player. And he may just want to chase the paycheck or take a similar reduced role with, with a, a playoff team, a team that maybe has super bowl aspirations. So, um, a, a lot to kind of, um, break down there, but Williams, I think is in a very similar spot entering year two where David Montgomery was entering year two. The team is not really an elite team that we would say there's elite touchdown scoring opportunity, but if he can consolidate the receiving role, he could really, you know, just vault up his production. You know, for Montgomery, it took the injury to treat Cohen um, to increase his receiving usage. And then we saw him, you know, finish as the overall RB five. Um, and, you know, I think that's range of possible outcomes for Williams next season. So, you know, we'll be ahead of it. Definitely a player to trade for. If you can move a player like, like let's think about Aaron Jones, for example, right now, he's continuing to produce at a pretty high level for the Packers, but if Aaron Rodgers leaves town, um, AJ Dillon is still there. Um, who, I mean, who would you rather have H 27 Aaron Jones in a Rogers Rogerless Packers situation, um, or Javante Williams, you know, perhaps um, taking that next step. So those are the types of deals you're looking to make, maybe even moving a Derrick Henry, um, for, for Javante Williams, you know, a little name brand, um, swap there, but you know, Henry's going to be, you know, obviously very old, um, at that point. And you're, you're just basically betting that he won't be able to stay healthy anymore to move like that. Yeah. I mean, I think that when I started looking at this, it, it is interesting to think about the framing of how you could go about making a trade to acquire Williams. As you said, you got to favor the younger back in that Denver offense with what we've seen from Williams at this point. I think it's pretty encouraging. I think he's worth taking a chance on. So see what deals you can make, see out, see how you can go out 
and acquire this player that could be in a position to be a pretty significant difference maker for you uh, next year. We're going to move along, though. And we're going to take a little bit of a deep dive here into Mac Jones. And there's a couple of reasons I wanted to focus on Mac Jones here. I think the biggest reason is from a fantasy perspective, I don't think people are particularly jazzed up on him necessarily, given what we've seen so far. But if we're trying to look forward and think about how players could function in the New England offense, as we start to see some new players get involved in that offense, be it new running backs, new wide receivers, maybe not new tight ends uh, for the next year or two. But let's just let, let, let's just look at how he's stacking up the same way that we did uh, earlier in the week when we looked at Jalen Waddle and Curtis. I had to say when I looked through, I mean, some impressive stuff for Waddle um, from a historical perspective as a rookie. And I was surprised with some of these findings that I had on Mac Jones. So I went into the Rotovis screener. The data goes back to the year 2000. I filtered out uh, or I filtered so that I would only be looking at weeks one through nine in quarterbacks, rookie seasons. They had to play five games and average 15 or more passing attempts. That left me with 54 passers. Mac Jones at this point in 2021, averaging nearly 37 passes a game for 237 yards, a completion rate of 64%, throwing approximately 1.3 touchdowns per game. Uh, adjusted yards per attempt of 6.2 and a um, touchdown rate of 0.036. So those are the raw numbers. But if we dig in a little bit more and we look at these in terms of where he ranks in relation to those 54 players, some pretty impressive numbers. Um, You have passing attempts. He's at eight. Passing yards, he's at 12. So, okay, he's throwing a lot of attempts. That could make could make sense there. Uh, completion percentage ranks ninth. Passing touchdowns is at 16, which, as I was saying to you before we started, as just somebody that's watching the games, it's surprising me to see, surprising to me to see him finishing this highly. And then adjusted yards per attempt comes in at 20, and then his touchdown rate is at 20. Um I'd wanted to look at success rate, but I'm seeing here, Curtis, that I pulled that uh, incorrectly. So we won't focus on that here. Uh, But some pretty interesting numbers for him to put some things in perspective. uh, Trevor Lawrence this year is third in attempt, 17th in yards, 37th in completion percentage, 17 in touchdowns, 38th in adjusted yards per attempt, and 29th in touchdown rate. I think it's really notable how well... Um, Jones is performing in terms of completion percentage ninth out of that list Um, as a frame of reference that puts him in step with guys like Kyler Murray also puts him in with Carson Wentz and Blake Bortles. You know, it's a bit of a mixed bag when you are looking at quarterbacks in their rookie year, especially just through this nine game lens, but it is fairly uh, encouraging to see those numbers for Jones And I wanted to focus on this a little bit more because like I said earlier, while you might not see his numbers popping from a fantasy scoring perspective, as far as a rookie quarterback actually supporting his team goes, he's been doing pretty decently. Before history is written, 
it's played, before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time, before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Yeah, I really, uh, um, you're actually causing me to to think a little bit um, about my current stance on Mac Jones, um, particularly from like a dynasty super flex uh, perspective. You know, when you, this nine man cohort that you've built here, um, I would automatically throw um, one name out of here right away. Um, so I don't know if, if you actually read down this list, um, but this this kind of um, pure cohort that we built here is Andrew Luck, Joe Burrow, Trevor Lawrence, Mike Glennon, Justin Herbert, Baker Mayfield, Brandon Whedon. Then we have Mac Jones at eight and Sam Bradford at nine. So that's kind of the group that we're, uh, that's in and around him. Um, we can throw Mike Glennon right out the window. He's a third round draft pick. And when we're evaluating rookie seasons, I really like to look at that draft capital, especially the quarterback position. There's just so much less certainty of getting a multi-year starting job after that first round um, draft capital falls off. And and Jones certainly has, um, if you look at the rest of this list, all of the rest of those players being first rounders. And if you throw out Lawrence, all of the rest of them have at least, you know, a year in the league before 2021 and are multiple year starters. So kind of just comparing him, you know, with the rest of the group, um, you know, he, he's lagging pretty much all of the names you'd want him uh, to be in front of from a passing yards per game, uh, perspective, but his completion percentage, he outpaced Andrew Luck, uh, outpaced Baker Mayfield. Um, he's, he's crushing Trevor Lawrence, um, from a passing touchdowns per game perspective. He's just right in there around the group. Really the only star in this group was Justin Herbert, um, and you know, he's really the star of the entire group <laughs> when yep. you, when you look at this across the board, yep. um, and from an average yards of attempt, I think it's pretty interesting to look at because the only two play, the, the only three players in the group, um, that, that didn't end up being long-term stars, um, or starters for fantasy purposes are those who didn't have an AYA through this point in their rookie season above six, Sam Bradford, 5.2. Brandon Whedon, 5.1. Mike Glennon, 5.8. Now we see Lawrence at 4.8. That might that might be a big old warning signal um, on Lawrence. Now he brings something with his legs that Mac Jones doesn't and that most of the other guys on this list don't bring. So, you know, maybe we can hold out some hope there. But Mac Jones looks a lot more similar to Baker Mayfield um, and Andrew Luck uh, from that perspective than the guys toward the bottom of this list. And so I think, you know, when you start looking at, hey, who whose other rookie seasons does Mac Jones look the most like? And it's, I think it's the more desirable part of this top nine, which is it already, is. you know, at the top nine of your 54-person cohort that you created. So um, the other stuff, situationally with Mac Jones, I mean you know, he doesn't have what Justin Herbert had coming in with, with Keenan Allen and Austin Eckler, uh, exciting playmakers like that to throw the ball to, um, or what Andrew Luck had coming in or what Joe Burrow had coming in. Um, didn't even have what Baker Mayfield had coming in. I mean, Mac Jones has perhaps the worst weapons entering the league of any of the other quarterbacks on this list in this top nine. And he's doing this with that group. Um, it, it kind of, 
kind of reminds me and, and the Patriots are winning now all of a sudden, you know, it was really ugly at the beginning of the year, but you know, they're getting it done now. It kind of reminds me of the beginning of Tom Brady's career. <laughs> like he didn't have, you know, this, that was before Wes Welker and before Rob Gronkowski, you know, he turned um, Troy Brown and Dion branch and players like that who were, you know, they wouldn't be superstars on other teams in the league, but he found ways to make them productive uh, just by getting down the timing, being highly accurate um, and, and, you know, operating within the Patriots system. And, you know, it's, it's no surprise, you know, coming from, you know, a very productive, impressive career at Alabama with the first round draft capital and landing in new England, you know, perhaps we should be less surprised. So Mac Jones didn't, didn't excite me from a fantasy perspective as a prospect, and he still probably doesn't, but I think his super flex value has climbed for me because I don't know why he couldn't turn into Kirk cousins with draft capital. Um, in the situation he's in, why couldn't he become Matt Ryan? You know, that type of quarterback who never joins the true fantasy elite, but just has, you know, enormous roster value early in the career because you just feel very solid about the situation. Hey, you watch your mouth when you talk about Troy Brown. <laughs> hey, he was a Marshall guy. So I've always got a, got a soft spot for the, for those, uh, for those guys, but you know, I appreciate you highlighting. I really do appreciate you highlighting Mac Jones here because, you know, um, from a startup perspective, you know, I think, I think if he can continue on this trajectory, you know, by the end of the season, he, I mean, I could see him passing a Baker Mayfield even, um, you know, players, I think he can creep into that mid QB two situation because you would expect him to have some upward trajectory from where he's been. Whereas some of these other younger quarterbacks who still haven't broken out in year three, four, five, um, you start to worry, you know, maybe they never will be more than what they are. Yeah. So, I mean, I was fairly encouraged uh, in looking at this list. I don't think, that you're ever going to see Jones be one of these really sought after quarterbacks from a fantasy perspective in terms of real life football doesn't look to me like he's going to be an elite passer, but I think he's going to be good enough that he's going to keep his team well positioned in games, which should turn into having some usability, especially in super flex leagues. Uh, so we will continue to track these rookie quarterbacks. The final note that I have, oh boy, Zach Wilson's numbers atrocious. I actually have to read mm. through this 13 in pass <laughs> attempts, 32 in yards, 46 in completion percentage, 42 in touchdowns, 47 in adjusted yards per attempt and 46 in touchdown rate. Doesn't have the greatest weapons either, but not doing nearly what Mac Jones is with what he has to work with. So, uh, you know, an ugly look there. Yeah. I mean, Zach Wilson's looking up at Davis mills. That's not a spot you want to be in. <laughs> Yeah, definitely not. All right. Let's take a quick minute here and do a quick little price check here. Conversation about Odell Beckham, former Cleveland Brown. Now, it's unclear exactly where we're going to see OBJ playing next. Curtis, a receiver that has been on a downward trajectory now for a while. Um, in the interim, before we know where he's going to be, let's just think about what the value for OBJ might be like if he's on, if he lands in a good situation or if he lands in a bad situation, try to get our heads around this. 
Well, maybe the first way to look at this would just be, is there any hope for him regardless of the situation? Um, And it kind of comes down to, you know, it kind of comes down to how do you, how do we view Odell Beckham? You know, at the beginning of his career, he was going to be a surefire hall of famer. You know, he started his career with um, three consecutive 1300 receiving yard seasons with 10 or more receiving touchdowns. I mean, he was definitely on an all time trajectory, but since, you know, since that injury uh, in year four, he's never really returned to form. He hasn't been scoring touchdowns with nearly the same frequency uh, as yards per, per reception has, has not matched what he did in either of his first two seasons since then. And he never really, I mean, in Cleveland, his first season at age 27, he did post a thousand receiving yards, but just barely only scored four touchdowns. And then the last two seasons have just been disastrous. I mean, he has 13 combined appearances in 2020 and 2021 for Cleveland. Uh, And in 13 games, I mean, he's sitting at 551 receiving yards. It's just a on 40 receptions, atrocious stuff. Um, So, I mean, how much of, how much of it do you think was, you know, Baker Mayfield and Odo Beckham not being on the same page versus, you know, Odo Beckham's kind of storied moodiness or me first approach um, in offenses, which you, you want in a receiver, you want to have that alpha, I need the ball mentality, but it's just such a slippery slope between that versus not being able to like operate within, you know, a team's game plan. Um, and serve in a role. And he's not a player that I've ever really questioned effort from. Like he's still running down the field, making blocks and stuff in Cleveland. So I could see, you know, maybe it was him and Baker not being on the same page and Stefanski not forcing him the ball. Maybe it was. If you think he was really a Hall of Fame player, and if you think he can get back to that, you know, the example that you look at of a player who became disinterested in the middle of his career is Randy Moss. Um, Randy Moss went to Oakland at age 28, after, you know, seven awesome seasons in Minnesota, spent two seasons with the with the Raiders and uh, the first season barely posted a thousand receiving yards. The second season played 13 games and and put up 553 receiving yards, which is like eerily similar to what Beckham's done in those last two seasons. And then, you know, he went to New England um, and was part of just the record setting offenses in 2007 through 2009, you know, posting you know, almost 4,000 receiving yards in three seasons with 47 receiving touchdowns (laughs) in three seasons, some of the best seasons of his career. And so, you know, I think if if you think that Odell Beckham Jr. is an all-time level talent, then this Randy Moss comparison really isn't like that obscene. You know, we also saw Terrell Owens um, go elsewhere toward the end of his career. Brandon Marshall, after a couple seasons being hidden in Miami, um, going to New York and excelling. So there, there's a roadmap here, um, it, you know, and I, I think Odell Beckham Jr. looks a lot more like those players than somebody who just all of a sudden got really bad um, at what should have been his, his peak seasons of his career. So I am holding out hope. I don't expect that to manifest itself in, you know, a sharp rise in dynasty value because people are just going to need – I think you're going to need three, four show me games. And even then any team that signs him is only signing him for the rest of this season. He cleared right. waivers. Nobody, nobody's picking up this contract. So, you know, even if he gets hot um, and, and has a couple good games, you don't know what he's going to be. What's the situation going to be next year. Um, and will the team view as a, view him as anything more than a rental? 
Um, one of the main places he's rumored to to want to go um, is Seattle with his personal interest. He'd be the third weapon there. I mean, I don't, I don't get it at all. It's not like he's going to usurp Lockett or Metcalf. I get that he might want to riff with with Wilson on broken plays. That kind of makes sense for his style, but he's not going to have material, you know, target volume there. You know, Aaron Rodgers, if he gets that pairing, I kind of like that as the second weapon in Green Bay, but Rodgers is moving on after this season. That's, you know, almost a lock. So there's just a lot still here to kind of watch unfold. Um, if you want to, you know, purchase Beckham on spec in Dynasty right now, I, I think his managers are going to want more than a second. Um, you can't pay a first. That's egregious in any format. You just can't. So, you know, a second plus, um, you know, a roster worthy player, a second plus a third, something like that. There could be some, some managers looking to cash out in that range. And, you know, I think that's the type of investment that you can recoup. Um, even if you swing and miss here again, only makes sense to do if you're a contender. Um, really only makes sense to do if you're contender. So if you're weak, uh, if you're weak at flex or you don't have a lot of depth at wide receiver and you know, the waiver wires picked bear in your league, sending your presumably late second, um, plus, you know, maybe your late third. Um, yeah, those are the types of plays for, for Odell Beckham from my perspective. I mean, Dave, how, how do you see this? Are you, do you have real hope or are you just in wait and see mode kind of like me? I don't have a ton of hope. I don't disagree really with anything that you said. Um, and I do think that in the beginning of OBJ's career, he was a very talented wide receiver. I do think, though, it's possible he's not quite cut from the same cloth as some of those players that you mentioned. Uh, as I've long held and talked about on the show, I've always thought that Jarvis Landry is actually the player that you should rather have on your team and actually might be the better wide receiver. And I wouldn't put Landry in a grouping like that. So in some of those cases, like with Moss, it took a very specific situation. Perhaps there is a situation like that out there for OBJ, but I do not have enough hope for him. And if I am thinking about the probabilities of him having some type of resurgence or approximating what I think it would take me to acquire him right now, I think that's a pretty low probability. So I'm probably going to be trying to avoid OBJ do not have that much hope unless somebody essentially, you know, wants to gift me him. Yeah. I mean, he, he wants to go to a place that's competing this season and that there's going to have to be mutual interest. The saints automatically come to mind as a, mm -hmm. as a wide receiver needy team, but I'm not sure that you would think, um, you know, him with Trevor Simeon or Taysom Hill is automatically going to light the the world on fire. I don't know that that's a better situation than what he just left in Cleveland. Right. I, I really don't think that it is um, maybe from an implied opportunity perspective, just because he's, because he'd be that much better than the rest of the receivers on the roster. Um, you know, new England's competing. Um, Belichick has taken risk on these types of players before. Um, and we talked about Mac Jones. So I think that you do have to put, you do actually have to put new England on, on the list of teams, you know, maybe that, that would have, um, some interest, uh, you know, that the Titans don't really look to be a team. I think that could support a third receiver or wouldn't necessarily have interest. Maybe if Seattle, Seattle could, I think have some interest, but I don't know that that's good for his dynasty value. Um, right. the Rams seem to want to sign you know, sign anybody and everybody. But again, that's a space where there's, you know, that's a team where there's not really much available there. You know, the list just gets really dry, like really quick. Arizona is already deep at, 
wide receiver. Um, maybe the team would see him as an upgrade on Christian Kirk. Uh, maybe, I, I don't know, but it, it just gets really hard to see. You know, it's, it's basically, I think the ideal landing spot for him would really probably be green Bay. Um, that's where I'd want to see him. Um, and perhaps, you know, that would, that would really unlock some ceiling with Devonte Adams commanding so much attention on the other side and Rogers, you know, just cannon of an arm and freewheeling, you know, mentality, um, I think, you know, could, could yield some exciting results, but yeah, it's just, it's tough. I don't think, you know, dynasty players are so sharp anyway. I don't think that like Beckham at age 29 as a player, people are really clamoring for. So I don't really feel like we're giving anyone cautionary, like, Hey, if you were thinking about overpaying for Odell Beckham, I think our listeners are sharper than that. However, it could still make sense to, to speculate here. And so I think, you know, just to kind of drive it home, that's really the context we're talking about OBJ in. Yeah, absolutely. I, I definitely um, have to imagine that our audience base is not, uh, you know, super high on OBJ at this point, but we will have to see how that plays out and we'll come back and revisit this when we have an idea of where he actually is going to be playing. I agree with you. Green Bay looks like the best spot. If you're somebody that has Beckham right now, you're probably hoping he can end up in Green Bay, get some run prosper and then position himself to land in a good situation as we head into next season. Curtis, we will be back on Friday. I had mentioned last week that I wanted people to send in via, you can do it on Twitter. You can do it via email, rotoviz. Uh, actually, you know what? I, I am blanking. <laughs> I think it's rvffshow at gmail.com. It's in my pre-recorded thing at the end, as well as the number. I want you to call that number. I want you to either email us or go to Twitter and let us know interesting combinations of players that maybe you ended up with on a handful of teams or players that maybe just kind of came together in an odd way on a team that you have that are working out very well. If we get enough of those, Curtis and I might talk about some of ours. Would be a fun concept for Friday. We're going to get out of here, but Curtis... As the dynasty commander, you need to tell these people that they don't have a choice. They need to send these in. Yeah, I mean, you have to. Um, I would love to see some questions of uh, should I go for it or not? Well, that's the kind of the spot in the season we're, we're in. Um, I, I tweeted something out to the effect uh, before last week's games that, um, you know, if, if you drop, if you just have two wins at this point in the season, um, it is time, no matter how great your roster is. I mean, and I know there's, there are probably some rosters that look awesome that only have two wins because of all the injuries that have mounted. You're just too far behind at this point. And so you need to think about reshaping that roster. I, I'm really interested to get some questions from three, four, and five win teams. Should I go for it or not? If you want to get some feedback from me and Dave um, on your squad, make sure you let us know how many teams are in the league, what the scoring is, the starting lineup requirements and, um, you know, you know, perhaps, um, you know, the team's records, uh, in and around you. So like, are you the current eight seed? Are you the current six seed? And, and what's the gap, um, to solve in order to get into the playoffs? I would love to help you break down some teams like that and encourage you to either make some trades to go for it and get the glory in 2021 or, um, you know, to, to kind of try to reload, um, offload some asset, uh, assets and, and reload for 2022. 
thank you for listening to the Rotoviz Fantasy Football Show. Send us questions at rvffshow at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter at DaveCabinFF and at CPatrickNFL. Leave us a voicemail at 978-615-9214. And make sure to rate, review, and subscribe.